0: Welcome to season two of the Marketing Chief Podcast. We're kicking off the season with an in depth conversation with Matt Arden from the NBA 2K League. This professional esports league features the best NBA 2K players in the world and is the first official esports league operated by a U.S. professional sports league. Stay tuned and learn all about this exciting new venture on this episode of the Marketing Chief Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Chief Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Collins. If you'd like to watch this podcast and not just listen to it, head over to our website at marketingchiefpodcast.com and click on the episodes tab or search for us on YouTube. Today, I'm very pleased to welcome a former colleague, a friend, Matt Arden, head of content and media at the NBA 2K League. Matt, good to see you, buddy. What's up, man? Thank you for having me, it's great to see you. Thank you, thanks for being here. I I wanna make sure I got your title right, head of content and media.
1: Correct. (laughs) <laughs> yes yes that is what they call me but we're we're a little bit of a we're a little bit of a, a all hands on deck kind of shop so who, who knows what i do day
0: to day well i, I tell you what i saw and, and i want to i want to talk about nba 2k league in depth in, in a minute but i saw this video kind of this promotional video and you're like in a legit control room directing things
1: yeah it's crazy yeah. i mean you know as you know from back in the Turner days like i got you know i made my bones at turner sports and, and then ventured off to entertainment and went on the agency side for a bit. And so coming back to the NBA was really like, you know, coming home. And it, but, but it was such a more interesting sort of like opportunity because it was content and media and broadcast because we're really, we're, we're one of the, you know, of the, of the five leagues at the NBA, we control our own content, digital, social and broadcast. And so it really was this like fully immersive role where I'd have to be in the truck, in the control room, you know, during the week, also, you know, overseeing content and social strat. and um, So it's been, it's, it's wild. I mean, there literally yeah. no day is the same.
0: Yeah, that's, that's awesome. But let's start with kind of where you started. And I did not realize this until I looked it up, that you started at one of the shows I used to watch all the time was the George
1: Michael Sports Machine. Yes, and and we're both aging out now because I have to explain to them George Michael is not the <laughs> yes. singer of the song Fate. Right, right, I right. Have to tell that. <laughs> right. I mean, twenty years ago, you said you worked for George Michael, and I was like, "Oh, sports." And then yeah. no one has any. I know, but yeah, I and mean, that was like, that was the thing on Sunday nights, and before everyone got cable, which you know was was well into the late '80s, early '90s, that was the sports show on Sunday nights at 11:30. It was distributed by King World, and it was global and from Georgia WRC, Br- right. Yeah, it was that at the URC and, Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was the, you know, he was the weekend, or not the weekend, the, the weekday, you know, nighttime sports anchor there. And then on Sundays, he would do the sports machine, and um, it was awesome. And and I kind of, you know, sort of uh, finagled my way into an internship, and and was able to hang on there for like um, multiple summers. They they yeah. kept inviting me back, kind of off book, and it was just like the coolest experience. But yeah, that's where I got my start. That's where I sort of learned how to get get going in here.
0: But what's interesting is the George Michael Sports Machine back in the day was the highlight show. You know, this is pre-cable. You couldn't get those kind of highlights. In fact, locally we were I don't know if you remember Warner Wolf. He's the guy I used oh, yeah. to watch, you know, in the let's, DC let's area. Let's go to the videotape. That's right. That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah, but but George Michael Sports Machine was was
1: super like you you just looked for it, the syndicated program. You just looked for it. He was really the first one. And he gave me the best advice that started my career, and and it it anyone I trust that gives similar advice, I know they're on the right track, and I know how to find my mentor, you know, like my mentors by using this. But he used to come to us and say, um, "I recognize you as the interns." He would say, "I recognize you all have degrees, or you're going to get your degree, and 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 you want to write this amazing prose about this sporting event, and Ma and Pa beer cans sitting at home in their barca lounger don't care." They just want to know what was happening and what was cool. And like, it was, you know, he really had this very like workmanlike mentality around like how to present sports and entertainment. He was kind of the first one to say, like, we need to be having fun doing this. And that, and he would bring odd sports into it too. He was the first one to show like bull riding highlights and NASCAR highlights. And, you know, he really wanted to show the full breadth. And he was also the first one. One of the, one of the chief jobs of an intern was to scour newspapers from across the country to find the, the, the heartwarming story or the tearjerker story. Cause he wanted to, he wanted to dimensionalize athletes and he wanted to dimensionalize what sports meant to story. And like, you know, he was really the first one to think that way. I mean, he was, he was doing three and five minute 30 for 30 shorts before 30 for 30s were a thing. Yes. I mean, he was the first one to bring sort of that documentary appeal to a regular sports audience. And so, um, it was fascinating working for him and, and for that whole group. And I'm still in touch with like the producers that hired me. You know, you? I talked to Rich Dunn all the time. I, and and uh, Wally Bruckner, the number two at that station. Wally and I are Facebook buddies and talk all the time. Like he's an amazing person. He's at NBC up here. And like the people I met in that, uh, in my first experience in mm-hmm. sports broadcast were like formative beyond that interim period.
0: Sure. Yeah, that's amazing. And, and I love that he was the human interest storyteller guy right and and as we get into your career it's 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 clicking for me because you're a content driven story driven person and yep. it's it's interesting that that's where it started and where what happened after after George Michaels
1: so after George Michael I got uh, my first gig was back at my alma mater um we okay. were building out Hokiesports.com. it was one of the first schools to sort of take back their rights from an outside agency and say we're going to produce our own content and make our own website and this is Ninety nine, Like nobody was doing this. It was, I think it was Virginia Tech and maybe I think the other school was Colorado that kind of bought back their rights from a larger conglomerate. And um, so we, I was the in-house producer and sportscaster for Hokiesports.com like right out of college, uh, which led to an amazing opportunity at um, CNN Sports Illustrated because I had digital experience in 99, which, you know, very few people with our backgrounds had. And so um, I got a really cool opportunity to go down to Atlanta to uh, CNNSI.com and that was what started my Turner journey, which to this day is still like the most uh, important, uh, you know, eleven years of my career. I think.
0: Yeah, I, 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 I still stay in touch with um, the team that I managed when I was at Turner. Oh yeah, we get, we get together al- almost quarterly. We're get, actually yep. next week we're getting together again, and it's hard for people to understand the kind of collaboration and the relationships that were developed during those years because we were doing really cool stuff and we had the resources to do it and it was just yep. a it was a great kind of snapshot of kind of a perfect time before a lot of the mergers
1: and it a lot was, of the consolidation and that kind of thing two two things one I mean first of all it was the leadership teams that we worked for like oh my gosh yes I, I was texting with Craig Barry the other day with Matt Mossel Moss the other day I talked to Drew Watkins all the time like that core group there was something that they, the leadership made it about family. Like it was truly a family company, even though it wasn't a family run company anymore. You know what I mean? And and, and Ted Turner was no longer around, you know, running the day to day, but like it really, the, the, the bones of it were all rooted in like family and, and we I'm still as close. I'm still closer to my former colleagues at Turner than I am to even current colleagues, which is no knock on my current colleagues. They're amazing people. I love where I am currently. And I love the people I work with, but like, That period of time we were both at Turner, I don't think anyone will ever experience that kind of work environment again. It was such a unique time, where um, you know it was even on the back end of the salad days. Like it it wasn't all perfect. Like it was, you know, there were still like budget issues and things like that. Like it was the, you know, it was the beginning of the days that we're facing now with cable. But it was different. And like I still look back on those years as some, like literally, some of the best times of my life. Agree. I met my wife there.
0: Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Your wife who who was in my, my group for a while. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Before you guys moved away, you stole yeah. her, you, you married her and moved her away. <laughs> what were, what were your highlights at Turner? What were the things that you really kind of enjoyed doing?
1: So I, I was, you know, one of the first employees at CSSU, which is creative services sports unit, which is Craig Barry's group. And like right. that to me was like, I, when I got transferred out of TBS, like sports and entertainment and down to CSSU for this experimental group that at the time only had an 18 month window. Like they were like, we're going to, we're going to take the sports producers or some of the sports producers from the networks and we'll funnel them through CSSU and get kind of like this one sports vibe across the two networks. Mm -hmm. Um, but it'll be a rotation and you'll get looped back up to the networks. And, um, I went down there and within like six weeks, I went to Craig and was like, I- I'm not going back. So like, if I get fired at the end of the 18 months, so <laughs> be it, but like, this is home now. And like, Craig was like, I got you. And like, you know, I was part of this and we were, it was crazy. Like we didn't have full-time staff yet. And, you know, Matt came on board from, he was in the truck. And I think Drew was too. Like, they were all like production for like Turner Sports broadcast proper. And Craig just like built this group of like eager like-minded creatives that were like just ready to run through brick walls i mean we would have done anything for that for that group um and we got to do the coolest stuff like craig just would allow us to be creative and craig's also like you know you know as a leader and as a as a mentor for my career i mean craig's just the most creative insightful thoughtful sort of like I mean, you look even at like stuff that's happening at Turner Sports now with the Draymond Green deal, like mm-hmm. signing a current player to a broadcast deal, knowing that eventually he'll retire and then transition. And like mm-hmm. Draymond's the, one of the best personalities in the NBA right now. And for Turner Sports to say, let's just get him on board now, let's make him a part of this story and give him a runway, right? And, and right. give him sort of free speech and open reign to be whoever he wants to be it's just always been that way with Turner sports. They've just always been, you know, from Lenny to Craig to, to TK and everybody who's important mm-hmm. over there. Uh, you know, I'm sure I'm leaving out a million names, but like that core group is just to be a part of that is still some of the most important formative, uh, elements of my career growth. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm obviously the one that kind of left Jody got the job offer in New York and we bounced out of Atlanta. Um, you know, cause I think ultimately I could have stayed there forever if I, you know, mm-hmm. uh, cause they were s- such an amazing group, but I still look back on that time with some sort of like fondness, but also this weird little bit of like, I love my life in New York. Like mm-hmm. Jody and I always wanted to live in New York, but there's always a little piece of me. That's like, I could have stayed there for like 20 years. <laughs> it was that good. We had that much fun.
0: Did, did you work on any of the, um, when you came over to entertainment, did you ever work on the uh, inside the NBA or any of that kind of stuff or no?
1: No, once we came to entertainment, I mean, sports really handled the sports stuff and, yeah. you know, the entertainment side, we really focused on uh, originals. I got originally attached to TNT um, and we really focused on the originals and promoting the originals. And then um, for my last year at Turner, I, I slid over to digital and was yeah. uh, working with that team on helping build out sort of like a better, you know, content strategy on the digital side for both TBS and TNT.com and um, and that's also like, again, another great Turner story. That was when uh, Craig Kelly pitched the idea of having like a, a five minute comedy show on TBS.com. Today's and Riff. So, yeah, and so we yep. shot a pilot. Like, as I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll host the pilot. Sure, you'll get greenlit, it'll be fun. You know, I'm happy to help out. Yep. So I, I randomly helped out and the thing got greenlit with me as host. And so Turner was like, yeah, do that too. And It was the <laughs> second time in my Turner career where I shot a pilot and the show got greenlit with me as host and I would just do double duty. Um, Cause I hosted a show That's... for Turner sports back in the day. Um, I did. Yeah. You know, but, but it's like, that was the Turner thing was, yeah, let's just let's do something fun and creative and interesting and cool. Go ahead. Have here's your green light. And then after Turner, where, where did you go after Turner? So, you know, my wife's the one that got the job offer up here. So I actually quit my job at Turner and had no job. I was like, I'll get to New York and figure it out. And, and um, either, either brilliantly or stupidly, the truth is it was stupid, but I'll tell you it was brilliant because it's a podcast, but I wasn't sure how to like, the one thing about Turner that was interesting was it was pretty insular. Right. And so I started my career there basically. So I didn't know anybody in outside markets that well, cause we, you know, we did stuff internally. Sure. Um, so I didn't have a ton of contacts in in, contact in New York. And so I wasn't really sure how to break into the market here. So I, I um, the stupid slash brilliant thing was I just picked four companies that I thought um, I might add value to, but ultimately I would gain like more out of working there than than anything else. Like it was yes. sort of like not quite pie in the sky, but pretty close to like, I'd love to work there. And I cold called the bosses at all those places and and literally said, I'm gonna be in New York in June or July, whenever it was, you know, hey, if you've got time, I'd love to grab coffee and pick your brain. And I had no plans on being in New York. It was not that's yes, right, sure. And all four companies agreed to like someone meeting me. So I flew to New York for two days and just sort of took meetings randomly. Um, Ended up getting really lucky because one of the filmmakers, one of the one of the DPs that we used at, at Turner Sports um, uh, was a guy named Scott Duncan, and I sort of followed Scott's like DP career a little bit, and so the companies that he did work. With elsewhere, I always thought, well, they've got the same creative vision, you know, we do that. That's, they clearly like the same people we do. Maybe I'll look at some of the companies that he shoots for, and I'll call some of them. And one of them was Maggie vision, which was, um, you know, more immense company after she left ESPN and was lucky enough to get a job at Maggie vision, like literally on the drive to New York, Jody and I were driving (laughs) through Virginia. I had just left. We'd stopped at Virginia tech so I could stop and buy like a sweatshirt to take to New York and, um, we just left Blacksburg and they called me and basically, you know, offered me the job. And so, um, hit the ground running when I got to New York was, was employed by the time I got here, thankfully, super lucky. And I worked at Maggie vision for, uh, 18 months and, um, got a really unique opportunity after that um got hit up by headhunter, a uh, friend of a friend had mentioned my name said i was in the new york market and a company i'd never heard of frankly screen vision was looking mm-hmm. to build out its creative unit and, and build something a little bit bigger you know and they needed a creative leader and so got my first real like opportunity to be sort of like a corporate creative leader which was interesting to me and and ended up spending you know six six and a half years there but yeah so that was a new york journey pre-mba so, Screen Vision
0: was one of the, is one of really the kind of the two major players in, you know, content that's played before movies in theaters. Yep. Talk talk to me about what your role was there and and what you guys were trying to create.
1: So, I started out as um, like VP Creative Director, and and by the end of my uh, time there, I was an SVP Executive Creative Director and like head of um, innovation. You know, broadcast innovation or content innovation. So they really, you know, the goal was to really mature the offering, um, and really go, you know, because as you know, that model is based on essentially selling ad time. You know, prior to it's, it's essentially a spots and dots economy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but as, as content and and creative and advertising really, 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 you know, uh, found its stride relative to uh, original content for. Um, this space in particular started to mature, Screen Vision was a little ahead of the curve and saying we should build a creative studio and start offering creative as a part of the the sales process. Mm -hmm. And so my role really was to, uh, one, first and foremost, was to just revamp the show, make it much more consumer-friendly, give it a narrative arc from start to finish so it didn't just seem like a dump of ads before movies. uh, Because nobody just wants to sit through a commercial load, right? They'll sit through commercials if you make it entertaining. And so Mm -hmm. it was really about finding a voice and a, and a, you know, I redid the graphics packaging. I redid the voiceover. Uh, we would introduce hosts at times. So we had like a technology and, and gaming correspondent. We had, mm-hmm. you know, fashion. So we, I tried to find voices in the community before influencer became a word. We tried to find people who were influential in spaces and, and really um, work with brands on, on bringing content to life. And then it really sort of matured into like me being part of the sales process. So I would find myself on the road quite a bit uh, working with our sales leads to um, help, uh, help generate business. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times I'd be in the room, and it would be a creative idea that happened at, at the at the conference room table, where all of a sudden a brand would be like, "Oh, wait! So I don't, you know, I don't have traditional thirty second creative. What can I possibly do in this space?" And I'd say, "Oh, I'm glad you asked. What if we did this, or what if we did that?" And they'd say, "Well, we, you know, we don't want to go to our agency and pay a million dollars for that." And I'd be like, "Don't worry about it. We'll take care of it as part of the deal." And so we would do a lot of like added value uh creative through that um and we ended up making a ton of content and we did some Mm -hmm. amazing stuff um it was really actually for something that's not talked about a ton it was really a fun place to play you know to be able to make little mini movies and put them on a movie screen was really uh incredibly um uh fun but look when the nba called it was it was time to go home. <laughs> yeah. Well, before we, before we get to the NBA, I'd
0: love, the, the thing I love about what you did at Screen Vision was exactly what you're talking about, which is really contextual content that was entertaining because there are, in you know, independent theaters and ever you know, you're, you're just getting, you know, you know, John's Car Shop and mm. Sally's Beauty Supply, you know, whatever. You're just getting those things back to back and they're just local ads and it's, 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 you just want to avoid them, right? Yeah. But um, what was it called? Front row, front and center. What was the front name? center? Yeah, we renamed front it. And center. Front and center. Yeah, front and center was was a a it was it, it was content that was weaved together. So when there were there were brand integrations that that made a lot of sense, and I think that that goes back to the content and the storytelling, which I think you've been so you know good at throughout your career, and it's kind of been a hallmark, I think, of of, of your work. So NBA calls. And then what? And then what happens?
1: Well, I mean, it's you know, it's the NBA, it's the, you know, best run <laughs> league in the world. So, um, I, it was it was such a unique proposition, right? Esports, like the the NBA and Take Two Interactive, their spin on esports and professional esports, and to know that like it was going to be a league run by you know the best league in the world, and to have that sort of sensibility and and innovation behind it, like you know, my boss, Brendan Donahue is like an amazing leader. And then when you look at that lineage of people that I'd be working for, laddering all the way up to, you know, Adam Silver, who's, you know, mm-hmm. the NBA is seen as one of the most innovative companies in the world. Um, so just the, the ability to sort of immerse myself in that culture and learn so much um, from a, a, a team that's doing such amazing work, just like that opportunity was too good to pass up. Um, and and truthfully, like it was a nice youthful shot in the arm too, right? Like. Sure. I mean, there aren't many dudes my age that get the opportunity to reinvent their career in such a young, you know, youth-driven opportunity. And so like that was kind of cool too. And so I came in uh right at the beginning, right before season two of the 2K League and really like was tasked with looking at the product holistically and saying, okay, where are we on broadcast and what are we doing? What does it look like and what does it sound like? Um, and then where are we on our content side? Where where's our long form and our short form strategies? How are we working cross-platform? um you know are we being too monolithic that we need to create content unique to individual platforms and really sort of like putting some some context to how we were going to approach the marketplace moving out of season 1 cuz like season 1 they almost quite literally were building the plane as they were flying it i mean hmm. when, when you look at the time from when the nba announced they were going to do an esports league to the first tip off in the first season i think it was like 16 months which is insane
0: yes um
1: they went from, you know what we should do to like first tip off with 17 teams in the league within like 16 months. So they, Mm -hmm. I mean, they were, they were absolutely flying through it. And, um, so I got to come in with a little bit of benefit of like watching it from afar and having a little bit, you know, 30,000 foot view of it without being, you know, in the soup. Mm -hmm. Um, so it allowed me to move a little bit quicker and, and sort of like come up with some stuff pretty quickly and, and position the team to be able to move and act. Really quickly. Uh, and that got us to season two, which was I only had about a two and a half month window before I was immersed in my first season, um which you sort of, once the season starts, you basically fall into like a time warp and you get spit out at the end of the season and go, where, what, where am I? What, what did we do? Right. Right. Yeah. So it, my, you know, I needed a full year to just get my like footing. Um, but we—it's been like the coolest place, like the and the and the best leadership team, and um, I get to work with some really, really, really smart people who've taught me a ton. Um, it's just been—it's been a joy.
0: So, so for people not familiar with esports or familiar with the NBA Two K League, ex- explain how it works. Explain how the how the teams get chosen mm-hmm. or created, and and what's the benefit for you know, a casual fan of the NBA, what's what's interesting about the product?
1: So it's uh, dial back all the way. It's a joint venture between the NBA and, and Take Two Interactive, which is the maker of the game 2K. And, and those, you know, those two companies are obviously tied at the hip relative to that product. So sure. it's a joint venture between the two and it's full five on five digital basketball. So it's, it's five human beings, playing as as five digital characters in the game against five doing the same. Uh, They don't play as the archetypes from the the NBA model. So the Lakers aren't the Lakers. The Lakers team is actually the five individuals that got drafted by Lakers Gaming, and they play as themselves. (laughs) Um, And so the... um, there's right now there's 24 teams in the league, 22 of which come from traditional NBA franchises. The other two are uh, international teams. So Gen G Tigers of Shanghai, which Gen G is a traditional esports outfit um, okay. based in Seoul, but that, that team is is uh, meant to be rooted in Shanghai. And then Dukes Gaming, which will be a, a team in, in Mexico. Um, and Dukes is a, a actually a Spanish uh, esports outfit, um, but but we're gonna house that team in Mexico. And so. Um, you can see sort of the strategy just right there in its own, right? Like the mm-hmm. goal is to grow globally and it's happening quicker than we would get all 30 teams from the NBA to, to participate. Um, so I, you know, and, and then the goal there is to create, um, a, um, a season and, um, a tournament structure that, um, gives competitive gameplay, um, and regular competitive gameplay. And so our season is, you know, roughly somewhere. usually around the 1st of April, give or take, uh, until the end of August um okay. there are four well, major yeah. tournaments oh yeah it's a long it's a it's a real yeah. basketball season yeah um there are four major tournaments um with uh, a pretty significant prize pool attached to that they're also you know salaried um you know esports athletes as well um then there's <laughs> this additional pool they get to play for uh which is you know in the millions and um and salaried we salaried esports. Crowned...
0: i mean this is this is this is yeah, um, this, yeah is this is amazing. their career amazing
1: yeah wow yeah and they play five and five basketball and, we, and it's, yep. it's awesome. And, and this year we've actually uh, introduced um, the three V three basketball as well. So we'll have both five V five and three V three tournaments, which is really unique. And the people I work for are so bright. And it was just such a really cool move because that's an actual um, opportunity to talk to the like hardcore game players of two K cause they play a lot of three V three, what they call mm-hmm. pro-am. Mm-hmm. And it really speaks to that pro-am community and says, Hey, there's a model in our league that also, you know, is what you're used to playing. And so Cause the five V five players are just like the elite of the elite, you know, players. And it, it's just, it, it's like, you know, I don't even know what the percentage is, but it's probably the top half percent of like two K players can play the, the basketball IQ to play five V five digital hoops is insane. Like these are real basketball players. Um, so three V three is a little bit, uh, sort of opens up the, the, um, the opportunity to play and the opportunity to try out for the league and, and feel like you've got a model there too. So that's a really cool thing we've started this year that I can't wait to see on the court, uh, when the season starts.
0: How do you get to be good enough to be noticed to be even thought of for for a draft?
1: Well, with two K, it's a little different. Um, but there's there are these pro am circuits. So really good competitive players that play the game will start falling into like um, communities that want to play a little bit more often and probably play at a a much higher level. And so you can just sort of a grassroots uh, methodology to like getting better at the game and you meet people online, you get, you know, you see the similar faces that you play against regularly. And then you may go the pro-am route, which there are these, you know, loose affiliations of pro-am teams out there that actually play for money and, Mm. you know, have, you know, careers doing that. And so we sort of take notice of the community as well. And so names will start to bubble up through that process. And then we also host a, a, a combine. Um, where there's a period uh, where players can opt in to uh, a game mode that um, is is a a 2K League combine. And and we can monitor their progress through that as well and start to generate stats um, and start to recognize who's climbing leaderboards and who's really establishing themselves as like the best of the best. Mm -hmm. Um, So I guess not that dissimilar from college in that there's a way to play and showcase Mm -hmm. your skill for the next level. Um, And then from there, you know, we've got, you know, scouts and people who pay attention to the marketplace and and look for names and recognize stats. And we have a league operations department that's got their finger on the pulse of everything happening at that level. And, um, through that process, we, we then have a draft and the teams and the GMs of those teams then come prepared on draft night. They know the names, they know the people that they're looking for. They've been paying attention to the community as well. And they, they know who they want on their team. And so we have a, a, an official draft and it's because of COVID, it hasn't been in person obviously for a couple of years. But yeah, I mean, we've the last draft we had in person was uh, before season three, which was Terminal Five. It was you know we had a thousand people in the room and f- full live broadcast and the, the whole deal. And and live broadcast where? So we typically broadcast in North America. Twitch uh, is our primary broadcast partner, and YouTube. Okay. We have okay. had some linear deals here too, like season uh, season the first covid season season 3 was on espn2 for 28 28 nights um okay uh, and then we have a bunch of international distribution uh you know digitally and some linear in, in europe and southeast asia places like that so when a when a team
0: sponsors an esports team like so the lakers sponsor a team you said that they don't use you know the lakers name or you know like player likenesses that kind of stuff how how, do, how does that franchise then benefit from being a participant and and what resources do they put against it to to make it come together
1: it's a, it's just so there's 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 um tons of opportunities and it's similar to the w or the g so any franchise that has a w team or a g team similar thing the 2k league it's another lever you can pull at the nba to to um you know have opportunities there's sponsorship opportunities there's um local and regional and then and, and um Uh, uh, court signage jersey patches the whole deal everything you would find in traditional sports happens in esports as well um so it's it's that business model really isn't that different from any other sport you would find they do all the same you know have all the same bells and whistles um and the only caveat is that they don't play as the lakers so lakers gaming which the Mm -hmm. naming convention is a little bit different but lakers gaming again drafts five players that play as themselves and then we on the league side you know our goal is to generate content and energy around those individuals just as the NBA does to build celebrity okay. around you know those players and so we're really invested in growing um, the careers of the the athletes that are on our court. Um, and, and that's sort of a unique distinction, um, that we really sort of lean into it and, and to see some of these players develop, you know, we've got some players now that have huge followings on YouTube and Twitch, and, uh, will often play other games in our off season and, um, have become role models and mentors to, to young kids all around the globe, really. Um, and that's, that honestly, I mean, I know it sounds sort of trite, but that's, um, that's really what's so amazing about it is this. It's, it really is this amazing community of people that are looking to find ways to bring their stories to life. And the fact that we can sort of like come in over the top and and help bring those stories to life and put sort of a professional lens on it has been incredibly rewarding. One of the best things that we uh, we've done very early on in my time in joining I said we need to know who these draft picks are in advance of draft. So we started a really. Oh, wait low wait, lift. wait
0: wait wait! You're going to do a, a human interest storytelling like you learned from George Michael? <laughs> yeah, imagine that. So, okay. <laughs> um, so we
1: st- like day one we started a documentary series called Draft Hopefuls, and okay. you know, the, uh, low lift. You know, not trying to reinvent the wheel, but yeah. going and telling short form documentaries of of who these people are because they're people right and if we see yeah. them as esports players we see them as like this sort of a, an archetype of like a digital a person that sits in their basement playing video games right and mm-hmm. they're they're these three-dimensional humans that have dreams and they're really unique individuals and then we started another documentary series called locked in which we were lucky enough to have ATT come in and sponsor and then we really got into the deeper storytelling like there are athletes in our league that are artists that are musicians that are um just these really incredible stories that really make you want to root for them. You know what I mean? And I think that yeah. to, to your original question was what's the benefit to the NBA fan? I think it's just finding a new outlet to be inspired, a new, mm-hmm. a new way of looking mm-hmm. at playing basketball. We're not trying to replace traditional basketball. It's oh, sure. it's dope mm-hmm. as hell. Like that's awesome. Right. NBA's great. We're just another outlet for basketball fans to appreciate, you know, a different form of the game.
0: That's so it's it's so interesting. You know, and and the fact you're producing all that content behind the scenes you know long form short form yeah. you're producing events and and games right so yeah. so what is th- what is what does that look like when you guys broadcast a game you've got 10 players in 10 different locations Right. They're not ever together. Are they?
1: I mean, they're just, they are, they are outside of COVID. I mean, we're, we're really looking to get back to, you know, in-person gameplay. will I think what we learned in COVID is that remote allowed us to be a little bit more global and a little bit more responsive to players that may not be within a certain region. So we will continue to do remote gameplay, but the goal is to get back to our live product, which is the best live esports product in the world. These, these players sit at the, my, one of the guys I work with TJ Canty, was one of the uh, amazing minds that helped think about how the the, the arena would look when we do live mm-hmm. gameplay, and he was mm-hmm. the he was the one that said we ought to put them at center court, make them play in the round facing each other. They should oh, be wow. talk and and they do they sit in real tight quarters facing each other in the round, and the trash talk is amazing, <laughs> like it is, and and don't mistake it for toxicity. I mean, this is full on yeah. Rucker Park style hoops trash talk. It's the best. Um, and they get into it, man. I mean, they're up screaming and pointing and, uh, you know, stomping. And um, we've got these specialized chairs and they echo when you bang them. And the players, of course, figured that on <laughs> a minute one. So they are smacking their chairs and talking, tr- talking trash. And um, the live version of our eSport is phenomenal. It's, it's invigorating. And to make things harder on ourselves, because that's what we like to do. Sure. Is during our finals in Dallas. Uh, this past uh, the playoffs and finals which we held live in Dallas last summer. we were like, let's put two stages next to each other. So the broadcast, let me explain to you really quickly how meta the broadcast has become. Not only do we have the physical people that we have to monitor our players, right? That's that's broadcast sort of pillar one, right? Then there's this other meta of the digital basketball game that they're controlling. So you got to sure. dive into that meta. That's two. Mm-hmm. Now there's a there's a third when it comes to digital, uh, esports broadcasting because twitch is such a huge component of what we do there's a live chat and the and the fans are constantly communicating with and at us and we're known to like change the broadcast midstream if the fans are like yo we want to see more of this player or like try this or what if we had this camera angle okay. we'll be like yeah cool you know person xyz just suggested this we're going to do that and so we we're taking live suggestions from the audience our 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 casters are talking back and forth with fans so there's these three metas that like fold in mm-hmm. on each other in one broadcast and now we do it on two stages simultaneously Our, and and it's like it's it's chaos in the most beautiful way um but producing it is hard it's i'm not going <laughs> to yeah, lie like it's no, a, no kidding yeah we, i've got the best team around us that do it. we we do it with a, a company called de facto entertainment you know, out of vancouver and then and then my team you know here in new york with another former turner guy mike budney um and uh this uh, just you know tj's amazing and and karina and cristali and 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 james and this uh, you know jamel and andrew the the team i that i get to work with every day are insane uh and awesome at this but it's it's like hard like it's it, again it's that time warp thing like the minute we decide to do a live broadcast and we hop in the truck mm-hmm. the world just goes blank we're in this crazy like it's like being in a you know in those films where they try to do like like when someone's like a on a, on drugs and like the lights are all flying by and like, sure, are, sure. It's like that for like five hours. And then we all snap out of it and go, where, what time is it? What, what city am I in? What are we doing? Cause it's just fully That's, immersive, but it's so much fun.
0: So during the season, how many, how many games are live?
1: At, at what cadence? We do uh, depending on the number of teams in the league, uh, we do anywhere between 55 and 65 live broadcast nights of full game play. Okay. And in, in those broadcast nights, you'll have four, matchups okay um so it's a lot but we we're yeah. on air four days a week almost the entire spring and summer um with with four matchups a night
0: well i'm i'm gonna check it out it's it's very it's so intriguing i mean i, I yeah. grew up a basketball fan playing basketball love basketball um
1: what, what a great what a great thing you're doing i mean and just... here's the cool thing for guys like me and you is once the knees go you can still play basketball you can just <laughs> We can still get that fit. Yeah,
0: yeah. The, the, the jump isn't what it used to be. Exactly. It, it never was very much, but it's not what it used to be, that's yeah. for sure. Hey, Matt, thank you so much. I really have enjoyed hearing what you've been up to and uh, so excited. So thanks, thanks for being on the Marketing Chief Podcast.
1: Thank you very much for having me. And thanks for having the podcast, man. It's nice to have a place where we can go listen to the people that we, we love and respect talk about what we do for a living. So we appreciate it.
0: Absolutely. We'll talk soon. Thanks. If you like what you hear on the Marketing Chief Podcast, be sure to subscribe or follow on your favorite podcast app or YouTube and give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. We'll see you next time on the Marketing Chief Podcast.